This is Zoe Church LA. We're not just fans, but rather followers of Jesus. Tune in as Pastor Chad Veach teaches of God's love and how we can live a Zoe life, an abundant life. We're going to look at Mark chapter 2 today. Mark chapter 2, familiar passage of scripture to some. And we'll look at verses 1 through 12. The gospel according to Mark. Chapter 2, we'll start at verse 1 and land at verse 12. And even before I read the scripture, let me just kind of set the tone and the trajectory of where we're going to go with this. Because I was reading this passage and it quickly reminded me of the story of a man who called up his doctor in complete panic. He said, Doc, I got to see you now. The doctor said, what's wrong? The man goes, everything. The doctor goes, what you mean, everything? He said, Doc. Every place in my body that I touch, I immediately kill over in excruciating pain. Doctor goes, what do you mean every place? He said, doc, every place. Doctor goes, okay. Uh, touch your elbow. Man touched his elbow. <laughs> Doctor goes, touch your knee. Man touched his knee. <laughs> Doctor goes, touch your hair. Man touched his hair. Ah! Doctor goes, dummy, you got a dislocated finger. <laughs> Some of y'all get that tomorrow. <laughs> I say that to say that sometimes in life, you can think there's something wrong with everything, when in actuality, there's just something wrong with one thing. <laughs> And if you could get that one thing in order, how many of you know that one thing would take care of everything? Oh, y'all not going to help me preach in this afternoon service? Take care of everything else. And I just believe wholeheartedly that Jesus is concerned with getting to the one thing that's affecting everything else. And I think we see this in this text today. Let's look at it. Mark chapter 2, start at verse number 1. And it says, a few days later when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. And so many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. And since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. And after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law also known as the haters, were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But that you may know, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone. And they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Can you say amen? Come on, that's good stuff. I want to title uh, this message, I Got More Than What I Came For. I got more than what I came for. Would you help me preach? Look at your neighbor, whichever one you like the best. Come on, get in their face, get in their personal space, and just say, neighbor, 
Come on, do not be afraid to talk to your neighbor. Zoe is a friendly church. Come on, say neighbor. If you get to Jesus, you'll get more than what you came for. Come on, if you know that to be true, would you give God some praise in here? Ooh, come on, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence. I thank you that not a person here today at Bancroft is here by accident. God, you knew they would be here. So I pray over these next few moments, our hearts would be open, our minds would be receptive. Lord, we want to lead different in the way that we came in. Speak to us today. Lord, thank you uh, that my Cowboys have a bye week so I don't have to stress about them winning today. In Jesus' name, everybody say it. Amen. I got more than what I came for. Quick little sermonic survey before we jump into this. How many would say just by a showing of hands that you were raised in church? Can I see your hand if you were raised in church? Oh, Lord, that's almost everybody. Hold on, keep it lifted. <laughs> raised in church? Ooh. I just need to see who needs the counseling. Uh, I'm playing, I'm playing. Hey, I'll lift up my hand with you. I'll let you know that I, too, was raised in church. And if you lifted up your hand, then you're probably aware of the fact that the life of a church kid is distinctly different than the life of a regular kid. Oh, come on, somebody. There are trials and tribulations and situations that you go through as a church kid that other kids, they aren't even aware of. Like, I know this too well. In our household, we had to be in church. Every day the doors were open. Had to be in church. There was no discussions, no debates, no diatribes. It was not a democracy. It was a dictatorship, okay? <laughs> had to be in church. In fact, I will never forget one Sunday. I think I was like 13. And I woke up this Sunday like feeling kind of bold, kind of brave, kind of gangster. And I said to my father, I said to my father, I said to my Nigerian father, said, I ain't going this Sunday. I don't feel like it. I said that to my Nigerian father. And you know what my Nigerian father said back to me? He said, let me tell you something, boy. No, 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 let me tell you something, okay? You have two options, huh? You can get out of that bed and go to church or I can kill you. And we will go to church and have your funeral. But either way, you will be in church. Because as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's not a joke, people. That's a true story. Y'all clapping at the abuse I endured as a kid. Um, dinners were different. Dinners were different in the Madu household. My, my, my brother and sister are here. They'll tell you dinners were different in the Madu household. Because you could not eat your food. You could not touch your plate without my mama hitting you with this question. What's your favorite scripture? Before you could eat your food, you had to give a scripture. Before you could touch the plate, you had to give a scripture. Zoe, you don't know hunger until your mind is racing through the Bible, just trying to find a scripture so you can eat your food. I remember one day of being so exasperated with my mama, I looked at her and said, Jesus wept. Give me the chicken. Why are you playing with people's food? This is stupid. But that is... Uh, that's the environment that I grew up in. And to be honest, I hated it then, but now I'm so thankful that is the environment that I grew up in because it produced something on the inside of me. It produced this insatiable desire for the Word of God. 
I am obsessed with the word of God. It is the irreducible, substantive essence of what it means to know who Jesus is. It is the hinge upon which our faith has mobility. To those of you who think the Bible is some boring, antiquated book that doesn't really relate to your life, you have lost your mind. That is the only book that's actually still alive. It is the only book that is still breathing. It is the only book that has power. It is the only book, the only book, think about this, that was written in antiquity, but yet somehow it can speak to the specificity of your life. There's nothing like God's word. Other books you can read, but the Bible is different because the Bible will read you. It will show you who you are and whose you are. And though I love the entire Bible, I do have a favorite section, have a favorite literary genre, and those are the Gospels. Okay, if you're new to faith, just start with the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I love the Gospels. In fact, I spend so much time studying the Gospels, I honestly feel like they're close personal friends of mine. I call them Matt, Marky Mark, Uncle Luke, and Little John. I love the Gospels because... It's in the Gospels that we get to see the ministry of Jesus Christ himself. I get to see how he walked, how he talked, how he handled people and scenarios. The Gospels pulsate with the personality of Jesus Christ. In fact, one scholar said that the Gospels are Christology in narrative form. That's just a fancy way to say that the Gospels are the closest thing that we have of a biography of the greatest man who ever walked the face of this earth, and his name is Jesus. I love the Gospels. And I hope I don't bore you, but here's what I love. I love that, I love these four gospel writers are all talking about the same Jesus, same Jesus, but they do it in totally different ways. Totally different. Almost like four film directors who've been given the same subject to film, but have each been given their own cinematic license to film it. Each one of them give us a different HD, 4K view of who Jesus really is. And that's why I'm glad Marky Mark is our director for today. See, if you like like long, boring documentaries, you got to read the book of Matthew, okay? Because you know Matthew's writing primarily to a Jewish audience, so he begins the long and laborious process of letting you know that Jesus is the fulfillment of over 300 Old Testament prophecies. If you like sci-fi movies, go straight to the book of Luke, okay? Because you know Luke is a doctor. So Luke goes into detail to explain the miracles that Christ did and how his miracles could do what modern medicine could not do. If you like those mushy, gushy, romantic chick flicks that some of us husbands are sometimes forced and coerced to watch, you go straight to the book of John, okay? If you like the movie Dear John, read John, okay? Because you know John, he's the disciple. It's all about love. He's always laying his head on the chest of Jesus. He's very existential. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But those of you who are like me, and you like movies with action where things get blown up and people get beat up. Come with your boy to the book of Mark because Mark is Jesus Christ in action. Mark is so gangster, he don't even have time for baby Jesus. Yes, read it, read it. You will not find a manger in the book of Mark. This dude skips Christmas and just goes straight to full-grown Jesus with hair on his chest, smelling like Old Spice. Mark is not playing games with you. Mark wants to let you know with clarity and precision that before there was a Russell Crowe in Gladiator, before there was a Mel Gibson in Braveheart, please believe there was a King Jesus. And when he stepped in situations, it had to come under his divine authority because he wasn't just a good man. He was a God man. He was God in flesh walking among us with all power in his hand. Oh, I feel like preaching. Let me calm down. 
Mark chapter 2, our text today, the Bible says that Jesus, he's been walking and ministering, picking up on his freaking walker miles. And he gets, he gets to a house, a certain house. The Bible, actually historians rather, believe that it was Peter's house. The Bible says that when Jesus gets to this house, all he does, this is how the miracle starts. He sits down to rest in this house. I'm sure he was tired from the journey. He just sits down to chillax in this house. And within minutes of him resting in this house, all of a sudden throughout that entire region, people start going, Psst, hey, come here, come here. Guess who's in town? Jesus just showed up. Yes, it was him. I can't miss that hair. Jesus is in town. And rumors start getting throughout the entire region. And before you know it, that entire house is jam-packed with people simply because his presence sat down to rest in one house. Come on, people from different walks of life, people from different backgrounds, all converged in one place because his presence sat down to rest in one house. Come on, the Bible is clear. It uses picturesque language. It said there wasn't even room outside the door. This is standing room only because his presence sat down to rest in one house. What is it about the presence of God coming to rest in a place that causes people to be drawn from every I'll tell you what it is. People instinctively know if you can ever get God's presence just to rest in a place. Come on, how many know something life-changing, something supernatural, something miraculous will happen. Come on, if his presence shows up. Isn't it crazy? We ain't at the L. Ray. We at Bancroft, but the same presence of God that showed up in the L. Ray is right here at Bancroft. It's not the aesthetics. We in a middle school. But whenever you start lifting up your hands and opening up your mouth, how many know God says, oh, they in that middle school? I'm going to go right there. His presence shows up. Oh, it's something about the presence of God. You don't believe there's power in his presence? Uh, hello, why are you here today? Oh, come on, you know you could have slept in today. You could be brunching right now. Why in the world would you get up on your only day off, put on your good shirt, all that Mary Kay and Mac makeup, just to come into the house of God? You didn't come to hear the worship team as awesome as they are? I hope you didn't just come to hear me preach. I think I know why you came. You came because you knew God's presence was going to be here. And when God's presence shows up, it don't matter who preaching, it don't matter who leading, it don't matter what the, if his presence shows up, Oh, I feel like preaching. We had church at the valley. Would you just take 10 seconds and give God some praise like you actually want his presence just to come sit down? Woo! That's why I came. I didn't come to see your shoes. I didn't come to look at you. I came because I knew his presence. Woo! would be here. When his presence shows up, something is going to happen. Oh, I can use my exegetical imagination, Pete. I can see them in the house. I can see the sick in the house going, if he touches me, I know I'm going to be made whole. I can see it. I can see it. I can even see some ladies in the house, some ladies in the house, because don't get it twisted. He was single. Jesus was. And in his 30s. So I can see some ladies in the back talking about, girl, Yeshua is fine. Mm -hmm. I heard last week at a wedding, he turned water into wine. Yes, he did. Don't let him ask me out on a date. I'm ordering water. I mean, I can't see him. Packed in this house. And they are waiting. They are waiting with tiptoe anticipation, perhaps to see what Jesus was going to do. Because everybody loves a show. They should have been waiting to hear what he was going to say. The Bible says they're all packed in this house. All Jesus does is he stands up. <clears throat> he clears his holy throat. Bible says that Jesus preached the word to them. Solid did. He preached the word. Now that might not get you excited, but that gets me excited. 
Because I love to hear people preach the word of God. You understand, something powerful happens whenever you get in the presence of God and then you hear the word of God being declared over your life. That's why you ought to thank God you have pastors that will preach the word of God. Oh, yes, please don't get it twisted and think that just because somebody is standing behind a pulpit or a circular glass table that they are preaching the word. Because we live in a culture where people are preaching their opinion. They're preaching their political ideology. They're preaching pop psychology. And they wonder why there's no transformation in the people that they're preaching to. Because the only thing that can transform your soul is the infallible, incorruptible, everlasting, eternal, unchanging word of God. That's the only thing that has power. Martin Luther said when the word is preached, that's when God speaks. Who You don't believe there's power in getting in the word of God and in the presence of God? Haven't you noticed the Sunday you decide to come to church, that's when all hell starts breaking loose in your life. Your kids start acting like Chucky. Their heads start spinning around like the exorcist. Your dog starts barking. That's when your ex from 1986 wants to text you all of a sudden on Sunday. Your car don't want to start. It'll start if you go into the club. But now you're trying to go to the church. <laughs> That thing don't want to start because the enemy knows if you get in the presence of God and you hear the word of God, your mind is going to be open to the purpose, to the call, to the destiny that is on your life. Chains begin to break off whenever the word of God is declared. I feel like preaching in here today. There's something about the word. There's something about being in his presence and hearing this word. Paul said the foolishness of preaching transforms the soul. I'm telling you, I love to hear people preach the word. In fact, here's how mature I've gotten. I don't even care your style of how you're preaching it. You know how some, you know, preachers get like, some people get caught up on style of preachers. Oh, I like his style. I don't even care style. If you're preaching the word, I will shout you down. I am with you. I like calm preachers. Like I had Pastor Chris Hodges, who's a living legend. You know, I like calm preachers or stay in one spot and don't shout much. And, you know, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can. I like calm preachers. I love preachers that get excited when they preach in the word. As long as it's the word, I'm with you. And they got veins popping out of their neck. And they got a Hammond B3 organ behind them. And sound like they're having an asthma attack between each word. Come on, you know those preachers. They're like, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. If it says I'm the head, I'm the head. If it says I'm above, I'm above. I'm so glad. I mean, I like those preachers too. <laughs> Trying to wake y'all up. Oh, my goodness. I preach like that at some churches, but uh, I want to scare some of y'all here at Bancroft. Anyway, <laughs> love to hear people preach the word. But how many know in this text today, this is no ordinary preacher. This is Jesus. This is the greatest preacher to ever preach. Do you know why I preached like I had eight shots of espresso this morning? Because I had eight shots of espresso this morning. No. But you know what, I preach with so much passion, and no matter how I'm feeling or what's going on in my personal life, I still preach with everything that I got. It's because I know that when I get to heaven, nobody wants to hear what I have to say. Come on, this is an earthly job. We don't want to hear any preachers when we get to heaven. Put your little podcast to the side. The only person we want to hear in heaven, oh, come on, somebody, is Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's the only one we want to hear from. Everybody else, take several seats. I got to get all my preaching out now. You understand it? Like when I preach or Pastor Chad preaches, Pastor Julia preaches, we just have a word. Jesus was the word. He was literally the word made flesh. Oh, you missed it. That means if Jesus really wanted to preach a good sermon, that's all he had to say. 
and he still would have been preaching. Woo, he was the word made flesh. And what would it have been like a man to have been in that room that day to listen to the living word, preaching the written word? Woo, what would it have been like to have been in that packed house that day? There they are in that packed house trying to pay attention to Jesus' sermon. But this text is proof positive that even the greatest communicator sometimes will face the greatest distraction and challenges because everybody is trying to pay attention to Jesus' sermon. They really are. But in the middle of the message, they get distracted. They're listening, and they're like, is somebody on the roof? <laughs> Try to pay attention to something before you know it, debris starts falling down in the middle of this house and a hole starts appearing in this roof and this hole gets bigger and bigger and a few hands and a few heads appear in the hole as a ray of sunlight comes to the room. Now historians believe this is Peter's house, the disciple Peter. They put in a hole in Peter's roof. Okay, some of y'all don't understand the personalities and the Enneagrams of the disciples. If there's any disciple, you don't want to put a hole in his roof, it is Peter, okay? Put a hole in the disciple John's roof, the one that's always laying on the chest of Jesus. Put a hole in his roof because he'll just look up and go, oh, now I can see the stars that my creator has made for me. Not Peter, okay? Peter's like some of y'all. You love Jesus with all your heart. You really do. But don't let somebody cut you off on the 405, okay? <laughs> Peter was working on his temper. Peter would cuss you out. So I can see that hole getting bigger and bigger. And Peter's like, man, what the? And Jesus goes, watch your mouth, Peter. Watch your mouth. I'm the son of God. I'll make you a new roof. It'll be all right. Chill for a minute, bro. And all of a sudden, they start lowering this dude down, down, down. All the way at the feet of Jesus. The Bible does not tell us this man's name. It doesn't even do us the courtesy of letting us know when his paralysis occurred. All the Bible tells us is that he was a paralytic man. Why is that important? I think it's important because if you study the Gospels, one of the literary nuances you will find is that anytime Jesus interacts with a person, rarely do we get their name. More often than not, we just get their gender and their condition. You ever notice this? There was a man with a withered hand. What was his name? There was a woman with an issue of blood. What was sister girl's name? There was a man who was deaf, a man who was blind. We just get their gender and their condition. You know what it speaks to? I think it speaks to the human tendency to identify people by their issues. Oh, we do the same thing today. People love to identify people by their issue. And you can hear when they talk about people because they will put a label on a person. And labels have a way of defining you and limiting you. And it's comfort to the human conscience to identify people by their issues. And you'll hear when they talk about other people. to say, oh, you see her, man, she an alcoholic. Oh, you see him, he a drug addict. Oh, you see him, pff, watch out, he on his tenth wife. People love to put labels on you. I found humans are the only people that will call you something for 15 years that you did one time in your past in five minutes and think the sum total of your life is a mistake that you made. But I got some good news from heaven for somebody in here today. How many are so thankful that if you are in Christ, you are a brand new creature, your past is washed away, you cannot define me by one mistake or one moment in my life? Come on, somebody. My issue is not my identity. Don't define me by my disability function defined me by the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross 
I don't know who that's for today, but you need to shake off the words of other people and the enemy who keeps reminding you of your past mistakes and reminding you of all your flaws. You need to look at those people and say, you know what? You know a whole lot about my history, but you don't know anything about my destiny. I believe God's got more in front of me than the mistakes of my past. Hallelujah. Are y'all recording this? I'm going to watch it later. It's blessing me. Stop defining yourself by your dysfunction. It is the trick of the enemy to make you think that because you did it, that is who you are. Your issue is not your identity. They just call him a paralytic man, and here he is in the presence of God with his paralysis. He made it to God's presence, but he still got his paralysis. I know you can't say anything because it's church. You got to act real spiritual. Like we floated in here and had communion for breakfast. But if we could be real, which is sometimes hard for church people to do, you would be shocked at the person sitting next to you today in church, lifting up their hands, singing all the songs. But if you are honest about your current spiritual condition, paralysis. I'm talking about the thing that affects your walk with the Lord. I'm talking about the thing that you cry out to God in a secret place and say, God, if I didn't have this, my walk with you would be a whole lot better. And maybe you feel like this man today. You feel stuck. You feel like giving up. You're tired of people passing you by. You're ready to give up and just throw in the towel. But God sent this screaming, shouting, sweating chocolate brother from Dallas, Texas to tell you, you can't give up. You can't give up because God has this unique way of positioning you at the right place at the right time to hear the right word so you can get up and walk in all that he has for you. Thank God for these four friends. Woo, these are the type of friends I want in my life. That's the season I'm in. I want tear the roof off friends in my life. They are an intricate part of this miracle. No miracle happens if not for these four friends. I want tear the roof off people in my life. I don't want people to see me on the ground and say, yeah, the ground ain't that bad. In fact, Target got some mats on sale. Let me go get you another mat. No, give me tear the roof off friends who say, hey, man, I might not know what to do about the situation, but I'll do whatever it takes to get you into the presence of the one that can. No, you can't stay down here. Come on. Get his arms. I'm going to get his legs. No, you can't stay here. You got a call on your life. You got a purpose on your life. Don't settle for mediocrity. Do you want some tear the roof off friends in this season? No, girl, you can't date him. He don't know your value. That's a tear the roof off friend. Give me a tear. Come on. They did whatever it took. They said, oh, Jesus is going to meet with you today. I'll tear the roof off. Come on. Man, you've been eating carbs. My goodness. They picked him up. Think about what it took to pick him up and tear that roof off. And no wonder Jesus responded to their faith. Oh, don't miss that in the text. Their faith. That's collective. Not just the faith of the man, but the faith of the four friends who said, I'll do whatever it takes for him to get a miracle. And they tore the roof off. And how many know if you're preaching and somebody comes through the roof in the middle of your message, just shut that sermon down. Okay. This, this is a huge interruption. Jesus has lost the whole crowd. And the crowd is shocked. That somebody's come through a roof, but the crowd is also excited. Because come on, this is what they paid their ticket to see. Come on, you know, it's already been rumored throughout the region that Jesus has supernatural transcendent power. So as soon as the dude hits the floor, I can see the crowd going, oh, it's about to go down. I'm telling y'all, Jesus got power. He got real power. I don't know if he's going to take mud and rub it on his legs. I don't know what he's going to do, but it's going to be good. You better get your camera put this on YouTube. And the man... The man who had to be embarrassed to be lowered into the presence of all these strangers, all of a sudden his embarrassment is eradicated with a feeling of elation and hope. 
because he knows for the first time in his life, he's going to be able to stand on his own two feet. For the first time in his life, he's going to be able to feel the sand between his toes. For the first time in his life, when he's at a wedding, and they do the cha-cha slide, and he says, one hop this time, he's going to be able to do it. And while the crowd, while the crowd is waiting to turn up at a miracle, and the man is thinking about what dance moves he's going to do, Jesus, who has the power to heal him, the first thing he says, first thing he says to him is, Son, your sins are forgiven. What? Okay, all you spiritual people, you're like, mm, hallelujah, yes, glory to God. But I don't know how you read the Bible. Here's how I read the Bible, okay? When I read the Bible, I literally like jump in the page of the Bible. I imagine what it would be like to be that particular individual. And that lets me know I would have gotten kicked out of the Bible. Right around Genesis chapter 1, because whenever I am annoyed, whenever I am frustrated, pray for me, I have the tendency to be a little bit sarcastic, a little bit sardonic. So if that's me, and I've just been carried through a crowd, up the side of a house, a scene has been made, a hole has been cut, and a reconstruction has happened for me to get into the presence of a man that everybody's saying is going to heal me, and everybody's saying going to make me walk again, and the first thing, the first First thing he says is, son, your sins are forgiven. I'm going, oh, appreciate it, Jesus. You know, that's why we came all the way down here to get my sins forgiven. Yeah, that's the real obvious apparent issue, to get my sins forgiven. Yeah, I don't need these legs. I don't want to walk. I came all the way down here to get my sins forgiven. Hey, guys, sins forgiven. Mission accomplished. Let's go home. What is Jesus talking about? Maybe you got to read your Bible. It is funny stuff in your Bible. Jesus in this moment seems to be the only ignoramus in the room who don't realize this man did not come to get his sins forgiven. Hello, he wants to do the moonwalk. Oh, what do you do when Jesus did not address the issue in your life that seems obvious to you for him to address? What do you do when he seems to be completely ignorant to the obvious thing that needs to be fixed? Whenever Jesus appears to be acting ignorant, that's when you have to lean in close and pay attention. Because that's when he's going to give you incredible insight. Say it more eloquently. There is a profundity in the alleged stupidity of Christ. Ooh, that's good. And that was a perfect time for you to start playing song. This man, Zoe, this man, just like you and I, didn't even realize he was in the exact place, posture, and position that God will often reveal himself to you. Hear me, there's a place in life that is annoying, that is frustrating, and yet it is the place that God will reveal himself to you. And that place is this. Whenever your experience doesn't line up with your expectations, God is trying to give you a revelation of who he is. Let me say it again. Whenever your experience is not lining up with your expectation, God is trying to give you a revelation of who he is. Because rarely is Jesus recognized in our lives. He's more often revealed. And he'll reveal himself at the place where our experiences don't line up with our expectation. 
Come on, anybody live long enough to experience that right there? Come on, where your experience did line up with your expectation, and only now in hindsight you can look back and say, whoo, it was good God didn't answer that prayer the way I wanted him to. It was good that that door got shut. It was good they didn't call me back to go out on a date. I see where they are today. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> your experience doesn't line up with your expectation. God is trying to reveal himself to you. Maybe right now you're at that place. And you don't even realize that the situation you're complaining about, you could flip the script and start praising about it. Because the whole thing is a setup for God to reveal himself to you. Come on, sometimes it's not until you get the bad doctor's report that he will reveal that he really is a healer. Not just something you sing about. Sometimes it's not until a person you thought you could trust stabs you in the back that God will reveal, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. You're going to make it through it. Sometimes it's not until your money is funny and your change is strange. <laughs> and you got more bills than you got income. God will reveal he really is Jehovah Jireh, your provider. Come on, you ain't got the car you want or the credit score you want, but hey, come on, you're still gaining weight because you're still eating three meals a day. Come on, somebody. Thank God for where you are right now, what you still have. You're still making it. You're still surviving. He's revealing himself to you. What is he revealing to this man? Look at what he says. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. Only the Savior of the world can say that. And in that moment, that man had to be thinking, oh, Jesus, hello, Alex. Oh, why did I come to you? You don't even know what my problem is. He's like, no, homie, you don't know what your problem is. <laughs> ah! Dummy. <laughs> got a dislocated finger you think your legs are the big issue they're just the fruit of the issue sin is the root of the issue and I cannot deal with the fruit of an issue until I go deeper and deal with the root of an issue because if I deal with the fruit and not the root we will have a perpetual cycle of dysfunction am I the only one that's ever complained to God about the fruit of issues? God, fix them. Fix my wife. Fix my friends. Fix the boss. They all crazy. I'm the only sane one. Fix them. <laughs> only to have God shine the light and say, what about this on the inside of you? He wants to get to the root. You know what I find profound about this text? Is that Jesus could have said, your sins are forgiven. And then walk out the room and leave homeboy on the floor. How many know he still did a miracle? He still did a miracle. Because you are better off being paralyzed and forgiven than to be walking in sin. But you ought to thank God that he can do both. He don't want you paralyzed with a promise. Come on, he don't want you walking in sin. He wants you walking worthy of the call that is on your life, into your purpose, into your destiny, into everything he has for you. He says your sins are forgiven. Not to say that this man personally sinned to bring the paralysis on him, but rather to say, first things first, that if I'm going to heal you, I must heal you from the inside out. Because what good is it for you to have your legs and still be broken on the inside? Your sins are forgiven. And when he said that, the Pharisees, whoo, they thought to themselves, he's blaspheming. Who but God alone can forgive sins? Uh, that's who he was. He was God. So much God, he responded to their thoughts. They didn't even say it. They just thought it. He goes, why are you thinking these things? 
Which is easier to say to this man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? He said, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Can we just pause right there and thank God that he has all authority? Come on, whatever you're stressing about, whatever you came in here with, how many know you can let go of that thing? God's not stressing about it. You know why? Because he's got all power. He's got all authority. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows where he's taking you to. Come on, somebody needs to release that thing that you're worrying about, that you got anxiety about, and just put it in the hands of God and know that he has all authority. He says, so you may know the Son of Man has authority. He looks at the man and says, I tell you, get up. Somebody say, get up. Oh, come on, say it like you had your coffee. Say, get up. Come on, say it like you got some power. Say, get up. Oh, I love the way he did that miracle, Roman. I love that he just told him to get up. He didn't say, I'm going to do a six-week series on how you can get up. He didn't even say, get a team around. He said, no, not for this miracle. I'm just giving you a word, and you're going to have to respond to the word that you heard and activate your faith and do something you've never done before. Somebody came all the way to Bancroft to get two words. Get up. God is trying to take you to a new place. Get up. God is trying to take your faith to a new level because anything is possible. Get up. Get up from worry. Get up from anxiety. Get up from fear. Get up from low self-esteem. Get up from doubt. Get up from sin. Get up from dysfunctional relationships. Get up from the pain of your past. Come on, somebody with faith today. Just shout, get up. Get up. Hallelujah. All of a sudden, woo, the man's legs start tingling. He gets up. If it was me, I would have ended the miracle right there. As soon as he got up, I would have dropped the mic and been like, what? Not Jesus. I love that Jesus is not just powerful. He's practical. So he says, get up. Then he gives him another commandment that made me laugh. He goes, oh, and take your mat. The man had to be like, oh, no, Jesus, I'm good. I'm good. You know how long I've been laying on that mat? He's like, oh, no, 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 you're not good. Take your mat. He'll be thinking, why do I got to carry this mat around? Because I don't want you to ever forget that you used to be down on the ground. See, sometimes if you've been walking with Jesus for a while, if you're not careful, if you don't forget, if you forget where you came from, you'll start looking down at other people and their situation. But come on, your mat is a constant reminder of God's grace in your life. Come on, don't you ever be saved in bougie. You know where God's brought you from. You know you didn't used to be in church on a Sunday morning. You used to be hung over in a bathroom somewhere. But look at where God has brought you from. Your mat is a testimony of God's goodness. Last thing he tells them is go home. Some of y'all are like, can we go home? I'm landing, I promise. <laughs> I can see this dude walking to his house, knocking on the door of his house. Maybe he had a family. I can see his family looking at him. They're standing home. And maybe that's when he looks at him and says, fam, y'all can't even see the real miracle in my life can't even see it. The real miracle is not that my legs have been restored, although I'm thankful for that. The real miracle is that my sins have been washed away. He dealt with the thing nobody else could deal with. In fact, these legs are just proof positive that healing has taken place on the inside. I got so much more than what I came.